have a gentleman with me uh, today that I had to do a little bit of uh, Googling to find out how to find him because he moves around. <laughs> he, he is a chef. He makes far none, and I'm serious about this, the best lobster rolls I have ever had. And I spent the first 30 years of my life on the East Coast. And um, I, I romanced with my husband uh, before we married uh, in Gloucester, Mass. And you can't mm. get too much better um, a place for lobster rolls than that. Plus, uh, my stepdaughter lives in Lyme, uh, Connecticut, and I've had a lot of lobster rolls up there. So, um, and it <laughs> out that one of the reasons why I guess your lobster rolls are so good, aside from your own attention to the details of making them right, is that you come from that part of the world as well. Exactly. <laughs> Connecticut, which I think I've been to Madison, frankly, but I don't remember for sure. But mm -hmm. uh, he has brought some of the best of New England to the best of the Gulf Coast, New Orleans. And that had to be a little bit of a challenge. I mean, to, to bring a food product and business to the city of New Orleans, that had to be just a touch intimidating, considering our reputation for having some of the best cuisine in the universe. Yeah, so it definitely was difficult, but I knew that there must have been people or people similar to myself who were also from the Northeast who were transplants here that must have been craving like the classic lobster roll from back home. So I was kind of intimidated bringing it to the true locals of New Orleans, people who have never had it before. So that was kind of a tough sell in that regard. But I wasn't too worried knowing that I'll have at least a little bit of a market, you know, being able to relate to the people that were like me who moved to New Orleans and didn't have access to their hometown food. Right. So um, his name is Joel Griffin, and he is the proprietor of something called Joel's Lobster Rolls, and it's a truck. And so it makes its way around the city to different locations. And I'm trying to persuade him that he needs to get into the Esplanade Avenue of Treme part of town. He's mainly uh, more uptown than downtown. And Joel, mm -hmm. that's cutting off half of the world. So you have <laughs> You have to include us downtowners because this is where New Orleans started, is in Treme, the French Quarter, Marigny, mm -hmm. and downriver from there. So um, I urge you to uh, definitely consider, you know, that location around where Conseco's is, and it has the Cafe Dega, yeah. and Fig, and um, the Santa Fe, and Lola's, you know, that's mm -hmm. a little hot spot. And, yeah. um, you know, I, I don't know what the circumstances would be for you introducing that there, but um, I, I'm sure you can finagle the um, the regulations and so forth because that's part of your job. Yeah. Tell us about tell us about your product first of all. Let's talk about your lobster rolls. Why are they so good? <laughs> so, for one, I honestly use the best quality ingredients I can get my hands on. Like, I don't use frozen lobster meat; I use fresh, which is honestly, for one, it's like extremely expensive, probably more than, in some cases, 20 to 40% more than the frozen counterpart. And of course, it expires very quickly. And lobster, even more so than, than other food, seafood expires very quickly. So I think, or rather, I know that my product is so good because I pay, probably it's the most expensive lobster meat I can get my hands on. And it's flown in a few times a week, straight from Portland, Maine. I received multiple shipments and I think the reason why it's so good is just because I start with good ingredients. And the thing is the lobster roll, there aren't many ingredients in it. It's just bread, butter, lobster, and some salt. 
at least for the Connecticut style one. So if you only have those few ingredients, you really need to make sure that those ingredients are the best you can get your hands on. And that's kind of what I do. And my, some of my vendors, my lobster suppliers, some of them are like, yeah, you should kind of uh, mix in some of this frozen with the fresh and get a nice blended cost. I'm like, no, I'm doing the best I can. I know it's going to cost me money, but I'm just using the best ingredients. I'm not making any compromises. And it was funny. He actually said to me a couple of weeks ago, I had an issue with a shipment that I just didn't meet the quality that I wanted. And he's like, yeah, to be honest, I've always respected your attention to detail and your uncompromising quality. I apologize for the shipment and it won't happen again. And I think I didn't realize that he picked up on my dedication to quality and, and detail. And I guess he praised me for it, for not accepting anything but the best. I, I was really upset with that product I received, but that's, that's a whole other story. But I, I think it just, the reason is I, I really don't accept anything but, but the best lobster and, and ingredients. So to, to look at you, I would have guessed you were in high school. <laughs> but to listen to you, I would have guessed that you were a 40-year-old businessman. <laughs> because, you know, obviously, again, you have figured out how to do your business right. Um, but you, you, you started young. I think you told me the other day when I caught up with you, finally, after I figured out how to Google where you are on a given day, um, I found out that, and by the way, you can do that, folks. You just have to Google Joel's lobster rolls and you will find out where he is. Um, so I, I was really um, kind of surprised to learn that you actually started your business at the age of 21. That's pretty young. Although a lot of people I know who are in the creative world start young, that the, the instincts to do what they do uh, really start in their childhood. So I'm really curious about what your childhood experience was that led you down this path. Yeah. So wait, I could have been 22. The dates are fuzzy but 21 or 22, regardless. I just want to okay. be clear on that. But yeah, so in terms of my childhood experience that led me to this, it was pretty coincidental, actually. During high school and even throughout college a little bit, when I returned back to Connecticut for college, or excuse me, uh, in summer break, I worked at a seafood restaurant. Right when I turned 16, obviously, I had to go get a job because my parents were definitely good in the fact that they didn't just give me money if I wanted something I had to work for it as soon as I was 16 you know that was I had to earn, earn my money and go and go you know buy things for myself so right when I turned 16 you know I'm from a small town in, in Madison Connecticut so there aren't too many job opportunities there that's actually not true but for you know a high school kid there aren't that many options in town and one of them was a local clam shack seafood restaurant so I go in there, I apply, and that was the first job I ever had was working there. And I think I worked there for maybe four years on and off, maybe. Yeah, all for sophomore in high school up until I guess a sophomore in college. That's when I stopped going back home for Connecticut and stayed in New Orleans. Uh, anyway, so that's definitely gave me the good base on how to make the lobster roll is basically working in a lobster roll restaurant. They had like fried clams fried scallops, you know, clam strips, um, fish and chips, all that stuff. So when I was working there, I had no idea that this is what I was going to do when I was older, that, that, you know, this was a plan of mine, but I guess just working there for, for four years, I just picked up on how they did everything. And then when I came to New Orleans, I randomly had the idea of lobster rolls. I was like, wait, I also worked in a lobster restaurant. I know exactly how to make these things. So it was kind of a good combination. 
So yeah, that's kind of how my childhood prepared me for this business. And so I would say, yeah, working in a literal seafood restaurant. And then also I got to give props to my parents for, you know, kicking me out a little bit and be like, all right, we'll make some money and go, go support yourself. And, and yeah. Cool. All right. Now here's my next question is the obvious follow to that is where does this go? Where, where do you see it? I mean, I, I assume you're not going to be uh, handing lobster rolls out from a truck for the rest of your life. So uh, how do you envision kind of the next phases of your business life? So I definitely, some people ask me this, well, a lot of people ask me this, and I know for a certain, well, I guess the short answer is I don't know. But I know for one thing is I do not want to go into brick and mortar because maybe the rents have come down a little bit since COVID, but the, the, the retail space and brick and mortar are insane. And if I were to get a brick and mortar space, I, I want it to be nice. I don't want it to be some, you know, dumpy shack. I want it to be good. I mean, I care about my brand. I care about the appearance of everything. So for example, I was looking maybe a year ago, just casually browsing. I think a place on Magazine Street might be ten dollars to $20,000 a month for rent. And I know actually several restaurants have moved off of Magazine Street just because of how expensive the rent has gotten. So, and I know that's a niche case, you know, Magazine Street's definitely the busiest street in New Orleans or one of the busiest, and that's where a lot of restaurants like to go. So I'm not saying it's all that expensive, but I know for sure that I prefer the truck because of the mobility, because of the lower overhead. It, it lets me go to different neighborhoods, lets people try my food if they don't want to come all the way to the South Shore, I can go to the North Shore. So kind of rambling a bit, but I, I, don't, I know for sure I'm going to be sticking with the truck and not going to brick and mortar. In terms of expanding what's next for the business, I'm flirting with the idea of getting a second truck and maybe kind of doing a more permanent location in Baton Rouge or kind of have a truck in the South Shore area and then truck up at the Baton Rouge area, but nothing's concrete. I'm kind of in the infancy of that idea, but I know one thing's for certain right now, it's not gonna be brick and mortar. So um, I, I respect your instinct on that, and I understand about the rents, but I do want to share with you a perspective I have as a now 50-year resident of New Orleans, and um, I'm from originally, I always tell people when they ask me, where am I from? I say the South, Pause. Bronx. <laughs> I'm from the South Bronx. Not, not a, I'm, I'm not a uh, Southern Belle. I am Cardi B, a little cleaned up version of Cardi B. But anyway, I um, have learned from a, a pattern in New Orleans that people will basically go anywhere for good food. So you have a restaurant like Barrows. I don't know if you've been there, but Barrows is a seafood restaurant that pretty much just serves catfish. I mean, that's their primary product. And mm -hmm. they're well known for it. Um, it's on Earhart Boulevard near Carrollton. So it's, it's definitely off the beaten track. But believe me, they don't have any trouble pulling in customers. And then you'll have a restaurant like uh, Niao's on Bank Street, which is a um, Black-owned restaurant, very popular in the Black community, but also white. Everybody goes there. The food is great. It's classic New Orleans food. Um, and, and then you used to have a restaurant uh, oh gosh, I'm not going to remember the name of it. It might have been Buster's. I don't know. It was on um, 
Oh, or even like, let's go back to Ruth's Chris Steakhouse. That was at the corner of Broad and Orleans. Again, not exactly on the beaten track, but New Orleans people are, are foodies, every single one of them, whether it's just getting a poor boy from the neighborhood poor boy joint, or it is, you know, going to Galatoire's every Friday at midday. And if you haven't mm -hmm. done that, you have to try that because that's a trip. And um, so I wouldn't rule out brick and mortar because of the cost of rent in the high traffic predictable areas and think about a, a, a location that might be a little bit less fancy but it doesn't mean that your internal facility can't be appealing and attractive in some way. I mean, look, let's take a look at Susan Spicer's place out by the, in the, in the lakefront area. Um, are you familiar with Susan Spicer? I'm not, no. Susan is one of the leading chefs in the city. Um, so you should get yourself a little bit more familiar with, the, with the, in your context. And she's one of the more famous um, chefs here. And she started... Uh, she started with a restaurant in the French Quarter, and then she opened up on um, uh, on Lower St. Charles Avenue, again, in a place that was not predictable and on the beaten track, even though it's St. Charles Avenue. Um, Mosca's is an Italian Creole restaurant on the West Bank on the other end of the bridge, the Huey P. Long Bridge, that people don't hesitate to go to because it's a unique cuisine. It's this weird combination of... of I don't know if it's so weird because it's just spectacularly delicious. And that is an Italian Creole, Creole kind of mixture of food. The owner came out of Chicago, out of the whole sort of major Italian scene in, in uh, Chicago and, um, and then adapted to the wonderful opportunities of the cuisine of New Orleans. So I don't want to beat a dead horse here because um, I love the truck. There's nothing wrong with the truck. And the idea, trucks in general are very popular. And I don't know how the numbers work in terms of compared with brick and mortar, but I'm, I'm sure you, you're not doing badly because, um, you know, is there a time? I was fully expecting when I came up to look for you on Sunday past that uh, there was going to be a line. And I guess there had been rain and a lot of people up from uptown or uh, either in Aspen or New England, of course. <laughs> and um, so, you know, your market maybe was a little bit down, but um, I was able to just walk right up to the truck and, and, and order my seven lobster rolls, two of which I dropped off with one friend, two of which I dropped off with another friend, and then came home and sat on the porch with my husband and our, his um health aid and we all munched away and we're just you know deliriously happy <laughs> but so so just you know don't close off anything i guess is what i'm, I'm just basically saying mm -hmm. but you won't because you you were brave enough to step out there and and do this again at a very young age um <clears throat> even though you, you I, i'm gathering that you're not deeply um, aware of, of all of the culinary um, opportunities in New Orleans. You certainly uh, understand. Where, you went to school where? At Tulane? Correct. Yeah. So, so through your years at Tulane, I'm sure you got to know a lot of the food spots in town. And, yeah, and of course. certainly go to eat in other locations now. Mm -hmm. um, give me your point of view on 
the state of our culinary industry in New Orleans and where you see it going. And let me just tell you that I came here in 1972 when K. Paul, Paul Prudhomme's restaurant in the French Quarter had just opened and you could buy an entree for $3. So <laughs> mm -hmm. I, I go back in the culinary scene here and I'm definitely a foodie um, as well. Uh, my mother was Czech and she made English style Czech food, and that's not exactly the the pinnacle of um, cuisine. So when I got mm -hmm. here, I was like, "Whoa, okay, this is okay. I like this." Mm -hmm. and, um, so, but tell me, what what's your view of of the industry, so to speak, and and what do you feel would make a difference in supporting it? Hmm. Well, I know I'm sure you've heard of this recently. How the the uh, Michelin star, they may be coming in to give New Orleans, to try to rate the New Orleans Michelin restaurants or give them a star. I, I did uh, just vaguely hear about that, but I don't know much about it. Yeah, I don't know much about that either, but I think that would really help our food industry. Not that our food industry is like hurting or lacking. Everybody knows New Orleans has great food, but it is odd that on we, there's no Michelin star restaurants here, even though we're considered to have some of the best food in the country. And I, I think if I recall correctly, in the article i don't quote me on this but i think some of it had to do with maybe the service isn't on par with new york or or these big cities that have like world-class service and maybe that's a re i i can't really speak to that to be honest but anyway i guess i i i think for me in my opinion and in fact, I'm not faulting any other restaurants because I'm not perfect either, but I think service is very, very, very important for the success of, of a restaurant and food truck. And I mean, I, I said this in a different interview one time, but in my opinion, for you to be successful, the food doesn't even have to be good. Of course, that's the chair on top of your food is good, but I'm sure you could name five restaurants where you think the food is horrible, yet it's busy all the time. And I think the reason for that is they, they offer consistency and the service is great. And I think those two things, whether it be your brand appearance, how you interact with customers, are they getting the same thing every time they go, the prices, all those things are in a way more important than the food itself. So for me, I take customer service very seriously. I want to make sure we're delivering a consistent product and price is also very sensitive as well. So of course, I care about the food and the taste and all of that. But I guess the point I'm trying to make is it's not all about the food it really needs to be the whole image and experience that your customers get from patronizing your business. And maybe, and I don't, I'm not saying other businesses don't do this. In fact, I'm sure they're probably doing it even better than I am, but maybe they could, I just think service needs to be emphasized and it's not all about the food. It's just about the whole holistic experience that your customers have. And that's kind of, that's what I personally look for when I'm going to a restaurant. Of course, I want to eat good food, but if, if it's a hassle waiting there, you have to, the, the food takes an hour to come out or it's crazy expensive or you're not welcomed in the place. It's just, I, I, I like to be, to be welcomed and, and feel appreciated when I go to the business that I'm, that I want to eat food at. And I think that's what I put forward in my business first. And that's what I appreciate that other businesses do. I don't know, that doesn't really answer your question in terms of what the culinary scene is like here, but maybe that could be a reason why the article might have underlined this, how 
we don't have any Michelin stars compared to other cities is because the service might not be taken as seriously as some of these other larger cities. Just a kind of rambling theory of mine. I don't know. <laughs> um, I, I'm going to pause for just a minute um, because uh, I have a, a blue healer who I think thinks he should be a part of this Zoom. <laughs> He's doing a lot of noise in the background. Hold on just one second. Um, and uh, this is a sign to my video editor that this is a pause right here for a second. Okay. Um, I think that's true. I think another factor for me is ambiance. And just um, like, I don't think, forgive me, Mandinas, that Mandinas has the highest, you know, level of cuisine in the world. But it's such a cool environment. It's it's such a throwback to the '40s with all the neon, and um, the the bar. I think um, you know, bar service is also important. You know, if if you can get great cocktails and the price is not outrageous, that mm -hmm. helps. And um, and the waiters. Yeah, I do. I think service is important. I agree with you. Um, I don't really feel like. There's a there's a deficit in the in the service area in the city. Maybe there are in some places, but the places that I go to, and maybe I've I have self-selected places that um, do have good service, but I, mm -hmm. I haven't. Had, uh, and yeah, I should be clear. I'm not saying that the majority of New Orleans' service is bad. I no, guess I'm, I'm just recounting that. Well, I guess sometimes if you. Yeah, I don't really know what I'm trying to say, to be honest. It was just a, I'm not maybe, I'm not making any generalization. I'm almost generally always very pleased with the service You're I get. You're saying in generically, in general, service is an important factor. Yeah, and I, I will say this. And I the think any, star story is interesting to me, and I'm going to pursue finding out. If you know, if you learn anything more about that, please let me know, because mm -hmm. I think that's an important storyline that I, I need to follow and see what's going on with that. Mm -hmm. But, um, well, I... And I'll, I'll say this one last thing, actually, and this will maybe please. better summarize what I was trying to say. I mean, the whole North versus South thing, at least in the North, you're, you know, rude New Yorkers, always on the go, quick food. And that's kind of where I come from is, you know, from the North, you're like, all right, give me my food, let's go. And you're on the run. You just want to get your food, get out or get your oil changed. You're just kind of always on the move. And it was kind of, it was definitely... Uh, an adjustment I needed to make when coming down here to New Orleans, where it's the South and things definitely don't move as quickly as the North. And in turn, that could mean- Especially you know, at a stoplight. <laughs> well, if anything, they don't even listen to the stoplights in New Orleans. They just go right- Well, they either pass them or they take a long time to recognize it's changed because they're busy looking at their phones or something. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Go so ahead. maybe that whole rant of mine a minute or two ago lends itself to me just being used to quick pace, give me my stuff now from the north and in the south is it's definitely slower. So maybe that's where give some context for that. Yeah, no, I think that's true. And that's one of the things I, I like about New Orleans, of course, you know, again, I, having lived and worked in New York, it's it's a, there's a lot of pressure to mm -hmm. uh, to for it's kind of to do things right to do things fast. Um, and and to move on from where you are to something uh, else. But um, well, all I can say, Joel, is that, you know, as I opened the interview, I said that I thought you had the best lobster rolls I've ever had, including in the North. And my father was a big lobster fan and he would bring home live lobsters 
off and on weekend and um, and and cook them for us. And so um, I definitely uh, was was raised on lobster, so to speak, mm. not not constantly as much as somebody in New England, but plenty. And um, yours is the best. Thank you. I appreciate and that. And um, so essentially, again, for people to find you, all they really, and I didn't know, and I kept sort of saying, where is that truck? Where is that truck? And finally I said, oh, Gene, Google, Googled, and there you are with the schedule and the whole thing. Mm -hmm. Now, some of the schedule information that's online is old. So you might want to take a look at that because it took me a while to get past stuff from a couple of years ago of where you were and get to the current hmm. schedule. So I guess how people find me is, yeah, I have three three ways of finding me, uh, Facebook, Instagram, and my website, joelslobsterworld.com. So I don't know what results come up on Google, just the regular Google search results. I can't speak to that, but I always have the most up-to-date schedule. If you just search Joel's Lobster Rolls, I post the schedule on my Instagram, my Facebook, and there's also like a Google calendar on my website. So those three facets should have the most up-to-date information regarding my whereabouts. And maybe the Google, they're like, has outdated search results. I, I can't speak to that, but definitely follow me on those social media platforms and you'll find where I am on, on there. I wish you all the luck in the world. Stay in touch. Let me know when you do expand, if you're going to do another truck someplace, mm -hmm. I want to know about it. And, um, <laughs> and whatever you can learn about that whole Michelin star uh, issue, I would like to know about that. And follow that because um, I can understand what you're saying that that's an important, especially for people who are not really that familiar with uh, the food here and they they are trying to figure out how to choose where to go. And mm -hmm. uh, unless they, uh, you know, go to Ian McNulty's columns or something um, or or talk to uh, uh, folks like us, um, you know, they, they have a there's a lot of restaurants here for the mm -hmm. size of our population. And so it's not that easy to find them all. All right, Joel. Um, Joel's Lobster Rolls on a truck to be found, as he just said, on the various social media sites. And um, I, I look forward to my next visit with you. Trust me, I'll be there. Thank you. <laughs> Appreciate it. Oh my goodness, in one show, we have the best lobster rolls in history from Joel's Lobster Roll Truck and the best pies in history from Nicole Eden at the Windowsill Pies. I, I just can't think of anything in the world more important than pies, ice cream and lobster rolls. I just can't. Nicole, what a crazy idea to open a pie shop all just pies in the city of New Orleans, where we have so many coffee shops filled with so many pastries. It, it, it had to take some serious gumption to do this. Well, we started, there's two of us, first of all. Um, my business partner is in the back, rolling pie right now, Marielle Dupre. Um, we started in 2011. I called her up and I said, how about making pies? And I thought she'd think about it for a little bit, sleep on it. Um, but she said yes right away, and we got to work that weekend um, in my house. She had gone to culinary school after Katrina, 
and pastry, the pastry program at the, in California and had come back to her home uh, in New Orleans. And she and I were both at a point that we wanted to do something different with our work world. And um, we started we started doing um, testing. And then initially that fall, we sold to coworkers and family friends for Thanksgiving. And then we just kind of kept building it up over about um, nine years we worked out of my house initially and then a restaurant after hours when we were doing uh, the North Shore Farmer's Market. And then we were in a culinary kind of like commissary kitchen where we shared with different food trucks. And that was really hard to come by back then. Um, they, it wasn't a thing. So we got that and that's what allowed us to do a little bit more. At the whole time we were still working other places. Um, we had gotten a kind of... Um, some whole food sales. So we were at initially all three stores in the New Orleans area, plus some restaurants and people could order, but they had to think ahead. We didn't have anywhere they could come in, you know, and see and just be spontaneous. So that was sort of the drive for having our own shop is that creating a space where we could have a community feel, um, have a place for people to go. And you could always pre-order for sure, but there'd be a, something you could always do last minute. Like we knew a lot of people can't make that kind of, you know, decision ahead of time. So in right before 2019, um, we started renting the place we're at now on 4714 Ferret Street at 4714 Ferret and supposed to open March, 2020, um, obviously didn't. And, you know, it's been a very rocky, um, tumultuous, almost three years now, come October, 2020. I mean, come October, 2023, that will be three years of actually being open here in the brick and mortar that you see behind me. So that's, <laughs> that's how it all yeah. happened. Okay. Now, but what's, what's, um, let's go back a little further. Um, where did your instinct for baking come from? Was that something that was in the family or was it just? Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I went to film school. I went to, that's where my master's in. I'm very creative. Um, like I said, Marielle is a, definitely formally trained in pastry. Um, and then I always thought of making food as my second art form. I did um, work in restaurants as, as she did. So it was, an industry that I had familiarity with, but um, yeah, my grandmother would make pies and my mom did too. I mean, you know, there definitely was um, pre-made pie dough in my house. You know, it wasn't like everything was made at the level that I've learned to do it here at Wind and Sell Pies, but um, yeah, no, just the idea of making food I always had, even at a young age, parties and where I'd make everything from scratch and that kind of thing. So certainly something in my wheelhouse, but I've definitely with Marielle has also taught me a lot just with her background, but um, taken that, you know, amateur interest into a professional zone. So you're from where? From New Orleans? From somewhere no, else? No, Marielle is. I'm from Ohio, Columbus, Ohio. I moved here in 99 to go to UNO for film school. Um, been here ever since. And um, I guess actually to circle back to your last question, when we I was thinking of something to, that I could sell, pie definitely, I there's something I, I really, I never wanted to do wedding cakes where everything had to be 
just so. I like that sort of baked-in imperfection that is part of the pie-making aesthetic experience. Excuse me, I have to cough. I, I, I get it. I totally get it. And um, now I have to admit something to you. Um, you know, I said you have the best pies in the world, but, but honestly, you're the second best to my mother, right? And everybody's mother's pies are the best in the world. But my That's mother's good. pies, my mother was not a great chef. She's Czech. Czech food to begin with is not exactly Italian mm -hmm. or, you know, mm -hmm. and, and she was raised by a British couple because her parent, her mother died young. Um, so, but somehow, I guess maybe that English element, she makes pies that where the crust yeah. is really crisp. That is one of their areas. I can't stand soggy um, uh, crusts. And uh, and the apples are perfection. She uses granny apples and she always puts a little bit of lemon, I think, and cinnamon and great things. She also makes the best brown Betty in the world. And I can't find her recipe for that. It drives me nuts and I keep trying to approximate it, but it was made with graham crackers as opposed to, I don't like oats in my food. And um, she had graham crackers and butter, and it's, it's fabulous. And I keep approximating it, but I never quite get there. Mm -hmm. And I fake making pies with um, pre-made pie crusts and and just a lot of fruit. And I don't know what I'm doing, so it's they're okay. So, but pies are definitely I just think they're a very important food form because of fruit. And I wish more restaurants would serve more fruit desserts instead of all that heavy chocolate and, you know, I love, um, uh, what do you call the um, uh, creme, pot, pot of creme type things, you know, mm. and uh, so on. But there's nothing like fruit. So um, I am gonna assume that you have a pretty substantial clientele because every time I called before I got up there early in the morning, um, you were out. So tell me about your customers. Who are the people who come craving your pies? Well, the thing, one thing that when we opened, we were lucky enough to have been a business for quite a while. So we weren't starting from scratch with our customer base. But one thing that was challenging when we were developing our business plan is we don't have one niche that is our clientele. Um, our clientele are all kinds of people, all income brackets, um, all ages. Um, it's really hard to narrow down. And that's been, you know, it's a positive, but it's also been a challenge regarding, you know, marketing, et cetera, because there are so many different types of people who like pie and are willing to, you know, spend money on getting good pie. So, um, you know, it's like really the wide swap of people. It's just amazing. Um, certainly, if we looked at, if we broke down the demographics about who pre-orders for Thanksgiving, which is our busiest time of year, and I imagine that's probably holidays in general, but, you know, that's our busiest, you know, sure, yeah. definitely, you know, probably 45 to 65 is our age, is our, for that pre-ordering that time, but, um, you know, all kinds, young people, old people, middle people. I mean, it's just all over. So we really, we really value that. You know, I mean, our first day opening, this elderly man came in, got a chicken pot pie and came back the next day in tears and said it was 
it tasted like his mother's and he was literally having a physical response and it <laughs> worked so hard to open up the shop and it was just feeling really intense so to have that kind of reaction was really gratifying and rewarding that um you know someone whose mother probably who wasn't with us anymore and he hadn't had that pie since he said he was like nine or ten and he was a good Aww. 80 years old you know yeah. to be able to evoke that yeah was really special yeah I, I would have to say there's definitely an emotional context for pies it really does hark back to your childhood because that's where you first had a pie without a doubt either from your own family your mom or from family gatherings where somebody in the family made pies so yeah I can I can see that and also coming from the north I think pies are a little bit more typical in the north than the south. In the south, you have meat pies and crawfish pies and hand pies. And we do all that too. I'm sure um, you <laughs> But they do, you know, people definitely come to us down here looking for um, custard pies a lot. And, and we do a few and we're getting, you know, we didn't have a sweet potato pie until this year. And now we do. So we do listen to um, people's requests and, but yeah, we do get people, you know, we use local fruits a lot. So like our blueberry pie is, uh, you know, North Shore fruit. So we are using fruit from here, not always, but when we can and as much as we can. Mm -hmm. Well, um, and, and so let's see, see, where does this go? I mean, um, I, 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 I'm hearing that you very successfully have a, a market. Uh, but it sounds like maybe you'd like to have a broader market. So what, what's your uh, what's your plan? What's your ambition? And, yeah, uh, and I think what stability. Can, can, what can the city of New Orleans, your context, your your territory, your your market, do to help you? Hmm. Well, in general, you know, I knew it was going to be hard to open this. Um, Obviously we opened during a really tumultuous time. So our business plan went out the window because you know we didn't even have chairs when we opened. And I'm not gonna revisit all of that, but you know, we weren't eligible for a lot of the incentives and the PPP money because we actually didn't have payroll before because we were about to open. So there was with that problem. Mm -hmm. It was a lot of challenges. Um, and then I'm looking to, I'm hoping in this next year we can create some level of stability. Um, that would be for us as owners, you know, to understand how things will flow in terms of when customer, you know, and to be able to have more employees. Um, that would be great because part of our mission is to be able to create opportunities for others. And, you know, we haven't, we've done that a little bit, but we haven't been able to do that as much as we'd like because we're just kind of trying to keep it together and, and, and open, literally <laughs> the door is open. Um, so that's been, that's our main focus. Um, and we're trying to do that through, you know, getting people in. We, we do well for holidays, but like creating an environment where people want to have a coffee or a glass of wine with a slice of pie or a cheese plate or, you know, ordering for catering, all those types of other avenues that aren't just like holiday oriented. So that's our biggest challenge and what we're working on. Right, so, um... And, and, and location-wise, Ferret Street works for you and you see being there or do you see 
maybe someday in the future having more than one location or that's hard um we wanted to be in an area that was accessible for people around the city um and we also wanted to be in a location that we had the opportunity to sell beer and wine um so for those two reasons with some zoning criteria and then for the price point brett street there really wasn't a whole lot available that was the right size for us uh, whether it was just all too big or too small. So we looked at this place and then it fell through and then it came up again and then we were able to get it. Um, you know, I do I do want to be able to reach out to maybe the students a little bit more than we have. Um, I do like how it's accessible, like I said, throughout the city. If you live in Mid-City, if you live in Gentilly, if you live uptown, you know, even in Metairie, it's not like trying to get to some parts of uptown, you know? Um, yeah. so that is, a, you know, one thing that we really like about it. And we like our neighbors here, mm -hmm. our business neighbors and, and we're part of that community. I'd love to strengthen that more. We don't have a neighborhood associate, uh, like a, a business association on Ferret Street. Um, I think that would be a great thing to be able to like, you know, really reinforce some of our things that would work well, for all Yeah. I thought that was one some years ago, you know, I, I had a marketing business, which I'm actually about to rejuvenate for almost 40 years. And uh, at one point, I was interested in helping Perrette Street and I made contact with people who were, I thought, in the process of forming some kind of an association. It, it didn't well, there's definitely leaders. There's for, for sure leaders who do awesome work, um, but there isn't a formal business association okay mm -hmm. oh that's very interesting okay so that's something that that is a need and, and yeah you... i think that would be amazing um mm -hmm. just to sort of not only get to know our business neighbors better but to reinforce um you know issues to, to talk about issues that come up in the neighborhood and then also to do more um orient things oriented to bringing business to the neighborhood Right. Well, okay. Now, um, I, I, I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna connect with you more on that subject. It sounds uh, very intriguing and important. But in the meantime, let's talk pies for a minute. Mm -hmm. Let's just um, let's just make me suffer and tell me um, tell me some of your favorite pies and some of your customers' favorite pies, and then let's talk about summer and if there's a particular pie that um you know is a, is a focus at the moment or what's coming up this weekend i want to pick up another pie because I, when we go to mississippi which is where we go to a little um redoubt a little uh, my husband gets mad when i call it a a, a ranch burger but kind of is um in the woods and um I, i'm probably going to want to get another pie so tell me about um yeah your favorite pies some of the ones that are you, i think the most interesting the ones that you've developed and so on so on let's talk pies sure well our vanilla bean bourbon pecan pie is our Ooh. signature pie we have that one all year round so that one is not seasonal it's sort of the part of the shop, um, no caro syrup. We use Steen's cane syrup and local honey from Powers Beekeepers in Algiers. A lot of vanilla bean that we brown, the, we take, we brown butter with vanilla beans in it, um, local pecans and a little bit of Maker's Mark. Um, that definitely was- Best bourbon. The first pie we made basically. And um, it's just 
you know, it's so good. What do so you that, call them? We call it the vanilla bean bourbon pecan pie. We try not to have any pie names that are short. We somehow <laughs> make everything super, super long. Um, a lot of descriptors. So that's definitely the most popular by far. But wow. um, throughout the seasons, things change. Um, strawberries were really delicious earlier in the season, but those are done. We're still getting some great blueberries. We, we make a, we call it the blueberry lavender honey pie. So no sugar. We only sweeten it with that local honey that we infuse with organic lavender, just a little, not soapy or over the top. It's perfect. So that blueberry flavor really comes through. Um, we pride ourselves on not being too sweet. Um, I'm really sensitive to sugar, to be honest. And um, I love sweets, but I I don't like things that are too sweet. So um, I totally agree. And that was one of the yeah. things I liked about your mm -hmm. pie. Thank yeah. you. The mm -hmm. cherry pie that you talked about was the New Orleans uh, Wine and Food Experience Best of Show winner about two years ago, I believe. That was the brandy cherry pie and that sweet, dried cherry and dry, sweet and tart, dried and fresh cherries. And a really nice kirsch that um, brings out that cherry flavor. It's a little star anise. Um, that's definitely one of my favorites. And that's a double crust pie. But we also make, you know, a key lime pie. We didn't have a key lime pie. People kept requesting it. And we like to, to honor the original recipes, but we love to have our own twist. And we struggled a little while to figure out how we could make something as straightforward as key lime pie, have our own twist, but still meet people where they wanted it to be. They wanted a key lime pie. And we really achieved that. We have a little tiny bit of toasted cumin seed that we grind up and put in that graham cracker filling. It just gives it a warmth, sort of like a genasse poivre. What is that? And then um, a very traditional filling. And then it's a, a, a caramelized white chocolate whipped cream around the edge. It's really light, very popular for summer. And um, last year, you know, it was, it, Summer is a slow time in New Orleans, no matter, everyone knows that. And we thought, what would bring people in? And so we created one of our most decadent pies. I can't say this falls under the not so sweet. It's a peanut butter pretzel icebox pie. So oh it has a pretzel crust. It has a layer of chocolate ganache. It has the lightest peanut butter mousse imaginable. And then it has just a little bit of honey in a whipped cream topping. And then it's it's garnished with little baby peanut butter cups. And that's a super fun um, late summer uh, pie that gets people to get out of their air conditioning and come in. Um, but overall, I mean, throughout the year, I mean, the frangipan, which is a, more of a French almond traditional tart, we put seasonal fruits on that. So right now we're doing that with peaches, but it started as an apple tart. Um, that's how we have it in the fall. That's always a pleaser. Um, the blackberry and peach uh, season was pretty short this year. So we only have one more bake of our peach blackberry crumble. Uh -oh. I thought we were gonna finish it up last week, but we got a few more in. And um, that's a newer pie. We just started that last last summer. One of our first pies we made was a satsuma, um, <laughs> called it the satsuma fantasy tart. And it was not a hit. We've made things that did not work out. So we do need to figure out a way to bring Satsumas in. They don't have the acid that, you know, oranges and lemons have, which makes it hard to make a curd or, you know, different things. Um, there are ways, obviously. I'm not, I know people have made great things, but we have yet to make a great thing with Satsumas. 
Well, let um, me give you a little, let me give you another little tip. Okay. By the way, let me just tell you that I'm the girl who invented the um, oysters BLT, fried oyster BLT sandwich. Oh, I love that. I invented it at Liuza's okay. on the track. And I, I keep reminding myself to go by and tell them that and get them to put it on the menu because I ordered it once. They loved it so much they put it on the menu. I said they said mm -hmm. they wanted to put it on the menu. I said, that's fine. Just say it's Gene Nathan's um, fried oyster BLT. And they did. And so it was on this restaurant. So um, I like to, I, I, I'm, again, I'm not a maker. I'm just a thinker and a designer. And um, I want to recommend to you on the Satsuma blood orange side, if you made it just like that bourbon pie you talked about, if you did a Satsuma old fashioned pie, mm, that'd be good. Think about that. <laughs> or no. blood orange, either one. They're both my my husband makes a blood orange and a satsuma old-fashioned. I like it. I love that. I mean, when with our coconut um cream pie, uh Marielle had a, a coconut coquito down a cure across the street, and it was the base it 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 sparked her imagination and that became the inspiration for that pie. Mm -hmm. So I can't think of anything I'd rather talk about than pie. So I could go on forever, but I'm going to uh, cut off and, and make sure I'm within my time frame on the show. But um, I definitely will be seeing you more. Yeah, and, and I appreciate the invitation to be able to share a little bit of the inside of what we do with yeah. everybody. And, um, you know, just encourage people to get out of that AC and come down and see us. Our, we're very, we are a very cold space. We have a fresh AC um, that was helped funded by our um, wonderful friends and supporters last August. So we are cool in the shop. So come and enjoy our coolness. Okay. Everybody come and enjoy the coolness and the best pies other than Thanks, Ellen Yatsko Nathan's pies. <laughs> All right. Uh, look forward to uh, chatting with you in the future. Thanks for the opportunity. All right. I'm pausing because I don't want to close the interview. I want to talk to you about okay. yeah. your marketing issues. Uh, as I said, I, I had a marketing agency for 40 years and prize winning and all that. And then I got this bugging me about doing a nonprofit. And I'm about to finish my uh, strategic plan for the creative economy. And when I do, I don't want to be the head of a nonprofit anymore because right now with my husband's situation, I have to basically go back to work. Yeah. So mm -hmm. what I'd like to do is maybe pick up with you on your marketing issue, uh, but maybe rather than um, you know charging you money that maybe you're not in a position to deal with, we could always do trade if that is attractive to you. It certainly is attractive to me as a pie eater. And um, if so, give that some thought. And uh, maybe next week I have um, a big event happening in Mississippi this weekend. But uh, and then actually the following week I have another one. But um, during the week, uh, maybe we could talk a little bit more about this because you you gave me you gave me the program. You gave me the plan. I heard some of the things that you you're interested in dealing with. You know the market, your neighborhood. Um, and the originality of, of what you do. And uh, for one thing, I would be really happy to just do a featured pie in my ad com uh, column in the uh, Cross-Town Conversations newsletter. 
You said you get a newsletter. Did you yeah, tell me? no, I get it. I get it to two of my email addresses, I believe. Uh oh, sorry. <laughs> but no, no, it's. It, I don't mean that as a negative. I mean I've signed up for it, so I think I get it. I mean, I definitely get it. I, I see it. I mean, I, I do look at okay. it. Um, well, we have an ad column. I haven't done yeah, a lot seen of it. it, but I'm getting ready to invest a lot more time in it, and um, I can. Uh, I'm going to be doing pictures of artists' work. Mm. Uh, in the column, and I love the idea of doing, you know, this week's pie. Mm -hmm. It would be very simple. It'd be a picture of the pie. It would be this week's pie. It would be your company name and location and, and phone number, website. That's really all we have to do, and um, that would be a kick. I, I think it would look great. And I also, uh, I often do events that include pie sales as a, a basis of a fundraising. That um, has been fun because I've gotten pies from everybody in the city, including. Oh, really. Oh. Yeah, no, it's it's a it's a, I, I do it you know maybe every other year I don't do it every single year but that's something anyway we'll talk some more. Okay. Now right. I know when you left the message you wanted a headshot and a three sentence bio. I have to do that. I don't have a three sentence one um, for pies, but I'll give it a second. it in a minute and send me send it to me as an email. Yeah. And if you don't have any, uh, uh, you know, portraits already, just take a, a selfie. Um, it, it's nothing fancy. I just need Well, that. I have headshots. I just don't have a short, uh, I have other bios, but I need to, I don't have, because we usually write a bio kind of together. So I have to just do that. So give me a second on that. Sure. I just over. need it. I just need it uh, sooner than later. Today Got is it. the day we normally okay. put the newsletter together. I'll do it right now. All right. Yeah, Love no, and, um, I will try to get by. I can't promise because I have a complicated week, but I would love to get another pie to take out to the country with me and I will um, try to get my well, behind. I, who, who, who delivers for you? Do you do any delivery? No, I mean, DoorDash would be the only thing. We There's just okay. two of us and we're both here all the time. No, no, so that's okay. That's why I just want to know who, who's doing you, who's serving, uh, working with you. And DoorDash. Door and they oh. have, I mean, we have the prices pretty the same on DoorDash that they are in the shop. Okay. Um, I don't know to explain what the surcharge for travel would be, but I don't think it's too much. Um, and we try to have almost everything that's in the case um, on there, but you can always, you know, let us know if you want something and we can kind of like put it on there to make sure it's there for you at the time. Okay. You that's what some people do. A lot of parents do that when they want something delivered to their like Tulane student for their birthday or something like right. that. Right. Well, um, yeah, I, I won't do that this week because of my commitments but um yeah i would love to be able to one thing I, another thing i wanted to mention besides the idea of that um, old-fashioned pie but um you know i love pecans i absolutely I have a pecan cookbook believe it or not all pecan cookbook um but i don't like pecan pies because that filling that they use is just too much for me and i i've wanted somebody to come up with an idea for a pecan pie that doesn't use that really well, thick. Well, try ours. It's very different. People love it. I mean, yeah. it's it's definitely not that gooey. Um, yeah. Right. It's okay. very different. That's exactly what I'll, I will do. I will. Yeah. I'll, I mean, we have the little babies too. They're just two inches. So sometimes people try just a little bite. It's kind of like, you know, a, a tassy. If you I know. Will. I couldn't do that. I'd have to have the whole thing. Oh, yeah. No. Just to see if you like the filling. Okay, I roast pecans all the time as a kind of, you know, put out on the table when people are coming to visit. 
that's how much I love pecans. And um, I think it goes, it, the origins go back to one of my first boyfriends in college who was from Bugalusa of all places. Who knew I was gonna wind up in New Orleans? But he taught me how to say pecans because of course as a Yankee, I was saying pecans. And, and when it's somebody, somebody says pecan, I always say, okay, then we're from here. <laughs> my ears. Right, it hurts. All right, well, thank you so guess. much, Nicole. All right, Jean. I'll send that to you right oh, now, okay? Bye, Nicole. All right, thank you. Thank you.